Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Oh, they're a heritage from the Lord. Second Kings chapter 2, verse number 9. The Bible says, And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. Behold, I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. For the next several moments tonight, Our subject matter will be this in this last lesson of the character of Elijah. Living with the end in mind. Living with the end in mind. Hallelujah. Help me right now as we would pray. God would help us this evening, those of us, bring our minds together. Father, Lord, I come to you this evening. God, I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for your people, Lord, that have gathered together tonight. God, for this Bible study, a looking, Lord, to your word, a learning of your word. I pray, oh, Lord, I pray, God, that by your spirit and your help, God, we'd be able to deposit something within their life, within their soul, Lord, that will be of some help, some aid, that we'll be able to leave from this place having learned something. Lord, perhaps encouragement, perhaps, Lord, direction. We pray, oh, Lord, let your word become alive to us tonight, Lord. God, throughout this study this evening, God, we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated this evening. We have here toward the end of this study, we have skipped over just a couple stories that has Elijah in them. And uh, we, 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 we skipped over just a few. We skipped over uh, the story of Naboth and his vineyard and how Ahab desired to have Naboth's vineyard and his evil wife, if I'm allowed to say that, his evil wife. That's not a reflection on all wives, but an evil wife. Uh, Jezebel secured for him the vineyard of Naboth wrongfully. And so Elijah, in obedience to the word of the Lord, uh, declared... Uh, and determined, if you will, the end of both Ahab and Jezebel in detail. So I kind of just skipped over that. He just kind of comes in there and he does what he uh, normally does, and that is was obedient to the voice of the Lord. And also, uh, if you will remember whenever we spoke last week, what happens whenever you become willing to uh, share your ministry as Elijah did with Elisha, that God will allow you to declare victory over your enemy. That's what happened in the story of Naboth and his vineyard. In addition to that, we skipped over another story uh, where Elijah is incorporated. It is the story of Ahaziah, which is Ahab's son. After Ahab died, his son arose to the throne in his father's stead. The Bible says that Ahaziah became sick 
And rather than calling upon the name of the Lord, he called upon the name of a pagan god and resorted to a pagan god, which was a part of their family practices. And so Elijah was sent to the Lord at this moment in time to address his mistaken faith in a god rather than the god of heaven. And anyway, as the story would go, uh, there were a couple groups of 50 soldiers that were sent to Elijah. And uh, they were kind of really making light of whether or not he truly was a man of God. And Elijah calls and asks and requests of God to send fire down to heaven to basically uh, prove that he was a man of God. And fire fell from heaven and 50 guys are gone. <laughs> and uh, another group of 50 comes and he prays the same prayer. 50 guys are gone. And I tell you what, I don't want to mess with that man. There's a third group of 50 that come and uh, their approach is a little bit better. They get down on their hands and knees and make a plea with Elijah. And Elijah goes and meets Ahaziah and uh, enters his presence and basically foretells his death. So we knew that Elijah was a man of fire. Uh, fire came down on Mount Carmel and consumed the sacrifice. So now it's coming down and uh, consuming some people. Uh, I guess they're not respectful to the sacrifice, so to speak. And so, and then here in the end of his life, uh, we see a, a chariot of fire and horses of fire. He's, he's just a fiery man. That's all there is to it. His life is stamped and impressed by fire. So without trying to go through all those stories, because a lot of what's in there are redundancies about the character of Elijah, of what we have already looked at and studied. So we skip now to the last occurrence of Elijah's life. And uh, it would seem from uh, verse, uh, the first verse of 2 Kings chapter 2 that Elijah knew that his time was upon him for leaving the earth. It seemed like he knew. The Bible says, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah to heaven by the whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal as though that he had some type, of, some type of inclination that something was about to happen. I don't believe that Elijah knew the exact time he was going to depart from the earth. I do not believe that uh, uh, he knew exactly where he would be whenever he would be taken from the earth. But I believe that he did know through some feeling or something that he knew it was very, very near. And he knew that that timing was close. So when Elijah began to perceive in his spirit that his nigh hour of departure was at hand, the Bible speaks and he sees that Elijah continues to be engaged in ministry. He knows the hours at hand that he's going to be caught from the earth and he continues in ministry and he begins to visit several of uh, the cities in which he had visited in his ministry. Uh, cities in which where there were schools of prophets that resided there. And so it seems as though he's making one last circuit uh, through these cities where there are, are schools of prophets and uh, perhaps he's imparting some last words to them or last wisdom to them, just touching base with them. Uh, but he's doing this because he understands I'm about ready to be caught out of here. I'm going to leave the earth some way, some form, some fashion. And one of the rarities of Elijah's life is that he is the one of only two people that have ever went from earth to heaven without passing through death. One of only two, so that's very peculiar. Enoch was first, and here Elijah is second. And we, or should I say those of us that are alive when Christ returns, will be the last to experience this. That go from earth to heaven without passing through death. 
Because in reality, the story that we have here for us tonight in the life of Elijah is an example how one should respond whenever they sense that the end is near. Amen. Elijah knew he's going to be taken from the earth. And with that, he lived with that anticipation. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. It really could be, whenever it comes our day, a modern-day rapture scenario. He's just, he knows it's going to take place. There's something telling him that it's even soon. And he lives with anticipation that that's going to happen. And so he, lives, he leaves us with an example, even from the Old Testament. He leaves us with an example of how to live with the expectation of the return of Christ or the snatching away of yourself, the being caught away. The Bible says in Luke 21 and verse 28, and when these things, when it speaks of those things and signs that point toward the coming of the Lord, it says when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. There is a proper response to the close nigh nearness, if you will, of the second coming of the Lord. Amen. To be mindful and anticipating that this thing could happen just even any moment. And so he goes from city to city. Elijah goes and he starts now on a journey. He begins his journey at Gilgal. He goes from Gilgal to Bethel. He goes from Bethel to Jericho. From Jericho to the Jordan and from Jordan homeward bound to heaven. Amen. He's translated from this place. And so he senses that the Lord's going to take him away. So he, he starts this trip. He's making some preparations for him being snatched away, if you will. He's visiting, amen, he's walking, he's talking, he's going through some very crucial and critical cities in the history of Israel. Some very historical events had happened in these cities that he passed through. They were critical and crucial to Israel's history. Amen. He, 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 here he was. This, this was like many of Elijah's trips, the trip that he's going on right now before he's caught away. It's not a trip of his own making. As a matter of fact, every time that he spoke to Elisha about going to another city or a different city, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, all these cities, he told Elisha, he said, the Lord has sent me. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. Amen. So this was not a trip of his own making. This was a trip that was being led by the Spirit of God. God wanted him to go to these various towns and these various cities before he was caught away, before he was translated. So he starts at Gilgal. And when we look at Gilgal concerning the history of the children of Israel, Gilgal was where the children of Israel camped just after they crossed the Jordan River. Just after they went across the Jordan River, it was at Gilgal that they camped. It was where they pitched the 12 stones that they took from the Jordan River and they put up as a memorial unto the Lord. The Bible says in Joshua 4 and verse 21, a few verses of Scripture I wish to read, speaking of that episode in time. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? In other words, they built these stones out of the 12 stones from the river of Jordan. Said, Your kids are going to come someday and ask, what, what mean these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you 
until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up from before us until we were gone over that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that is mighty that ye might fear the Lord your God forever in other words in seeing the stones I can even see Elijah as he passes back through Gilgal and he beholds the pile of stones that have been there for generations and I believe that the Lord was conveying as he would convey to generations after those who first passed over the Jordan I believe the Lord was conveying something to Elijah by seeing those stones that question entered his mind again what, what is it that these stones mean? He knew. What, what do these stones mean to me? I believe they were conveying to Elijah how he was going to depart. Amen. I believe it was reiterating to him, you're going to pass over a Jordan. You're going to pass over a Jordan, but I'm going to dry up the waters of Jordan. Jordan meant descent. It was a very low place. It meant descent or it meant death. Amen. He said, you're going to pass over this. You're going to pass through this. And as it did occur, whenever he came to that river and he smote it with his mantle, the waters peeled back. You're not going to have to, if I could say it like this, Elijah, you're not going to have to face death. You're not going to have to face a literal death. I think the Lord was trying to foretell something in the life of Elijah. As the Apostle Paul would say, for those that are alive and remain when Christ returns in 1 Corinthians 15, we shall be changed. Man, you're not going to have to face death. And although Elijah was saved from a literal death, there were things in Elijah's life that still needed to die. Amen. This... Gilgal is the place where the new generation of Israelites, the old generation died in the wilderness. But there was a generation that was born in the wilderness that had never been to Egypt. A new generation of Israelites that were born in the wilderness at Gilgal, they were circumcised. Just walk with me here a little bit tonight. In Joshua 5 and 9, the Bible says, The Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rode away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Because during their wilderness journeys, there was never any circumcision that took place. And circumcision in a literal sense was just a literal, if you will, cutting off a part of the flesh. There was no severing of flesh, if you will, during the wilderness journey. So now that they came to Gilgal, said there's some fleshly things we need to take care of. It's not just a literal flesh, but there's a connotation of a spiritual flesh. Amen, that need to be taken care of. Because circumcision in the Old Testament was a literally putting off of a portion of the flesh. However, in the New Testament, there is a circumcision as well. But it's a spiritual circumcision. And it's a putting off of everything that the flesh represents. And I believe what the Lord was telling Elijah visiting Gilgal is that we need to come back to Gilgal before you depart from here. We need to go back to a place where we're setting aside and getting rid of some fleshly things before you're going to be snatched away out of here. Amen. In the New Testament, the Bible says in Philippians 3 and 3, he says, for we are the circumcision. Who are the circumcision? Here's, here's the criteria of those who are the circumcision, which, number one, worship God in the Spirit. Those who are circumcised are those who worship God in the Spirit in the New Testament. Speaking of spiritual matters. Number two, they rejoice in Christ Jesus. Number three qualifier is they have no confidence in the flesh. So as Elijah's making preparations for his departure because he knows it's at hand, 
He knows it's going to take place. He says, the Spirit of the Lord wants me to revisit Gilgal. Spirit of God wants me to revisit Gilgal. And it wants me to go there because I need to take care of some flesh issues before I depart from this place. I still, I, I need to reaffirm to him that my worship is still directed toward God. I need to go back to Gilgal and tell him again that I rejoice in knowing that he is Christ Jesus. I, I need to go back to Gilgal and reaffirm to him that I have no confidence in this flesh. This, this flesh can't do anything for me. He'll lead me astray. Before I get out of here, I want him to know about all these things that I am of a circumcision of New Testament. Amen. There's a putting away, if you will, of the flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a, Gilgal's an important place to return to before we get caught away. Amen. Gilgal's an important place to visit because it's the place where you remove the flesh. Amen. Colossians 2.11, Scripture further says, in whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Here we are, it's a spiritual thing. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of God. There it is, a spiritual matter. You know, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, if you will, setting those things up. That happens at Gilgal. God says, that's the first place I want you to go. Take care of business. At Gilgal, after they come through their wilderness, Gilgal is the place where they reinstitute the Passover. Didn't happen during their wilderness journeys. Just like no circumcision. But when they get to Gilgal, they reinstate it. They observe it again. Amen? Now follow with me real closely right here. At Gilgal, Gilgal was the place where the children of Israel that were born in the wilderness, and follow me here, became the men of Israel. Listen, the children of Israel at Gilgal became the men of Israel. The Bible says in Joshua 5.12 And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. This is occurring right here at Gilgal. The manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore. But they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. The children of Israel ate no more of the manna that had been. Now look now, manna is provided for you. You don't plant manna. You don't harvest manna. Manna is no work of your own hands. Manna is provided for you. But after they ate of the old corn of the land of promise, as a matter of fact, the manna ceased after they ate of that. Just follow this thought process right here. Let's skip forward to 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 11 and read this verse of Scripture and we'll come back to this manna. The Bible says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I became a man, follow me now. Manna was not of their own making. They didn't plant it. They didn't harvest it. Manna was provided for them. Manna was provided for the children. What you do for children is you provide for children. Right. Come on now. That's good. 
Especially in that infantile stage, there's nothing they do of their own making. We wish sometimes they could change themselves, coddle themselves, and, you know, yeah, clean themselves up. But they are provided for whenever they're children. But old corn is the result of labor, is the result of planning, the result of harvesting. Old labor was the result, if you will, of men. The difference between a child and a man is that a child is provided for while a man does providing. One is a taker while another is a giver. The children of Israel, through their wilderness journeys, they were on the receiving end. They took manna, they took quail, they took water, none of their own making. But now they came to Gilgal. And God says, I'm trying to change you from children to men. You've been takers, but now I want you to be givers. And he said, Elijah, before I snatch you out of here, I want you to take a trip to Gilgal. Because if you're still messing with some childish things, he said, I want that to be put away and I want you to become a man. If throughout your walk you've just been a taker in your relationship with me and a taker in your relationship with the church, I want you to go to Gilgal and become a giver. Before you get out of here, I want you to understand the art of providing rather than being provided for. Amen. So he says, well, you need to go here and you, you need to learn this. So at Gilgal, the takers became the givers. The children became the men. We, we need to go to Gilgal and we need to re-examine, if you will, amen, what we are before we leave there. Hallelujah. We need to understand, am I a child or am I a man before I leave Gilgal? Amen, am I a taker or am I a giver before I leave Gilgal? So Gilgal right here is a place of origin. It is a place of beginnings, if you will. So God is wanting Elijah sends him to Gilgal. He says, I want you to go back to the beginning. I want you to go back to the beginning of your relationship with God before everything comes to an end. Before your snatch out of here, it wouldn't hurt you to go back to the beginning. Why? Because people say, I tell you what, whenever I first come to know God, man, I was so excited and I was so thrilled and I prayed and I told people about God and I worshiped and it was just total no restraint. And after a period of time, we mature and we get stiff and all these other things begin to fall apart. It's nature, it's human nature. God says, go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Before I come back for you, go back to the beginning. Get that fresh touch, that fresh anointing, that fresh seal, that fresh power. Go back to Gilgal. Hallelujah. Ordained of God for him to go there. I need you to get back to the beginning, Elijah. You might be callous to my voice, but whenever I first spoke to you, you was taken back by it. Go back to the beginning. Go to Gilgal. The Spirit of the Lord sent him from Gilgal to Bethel. Bethel is where Jacob would have a vision of a ladder whose top reached to heaven. Angels where angels were ascending and descending on the ladder. It was that place where, as our phraseology is here, where heaven and earth connected. Bethel meant the house of God. God plainly told us in the New Testament Scripture whenever He entered into the temple that His house, if that's the house of God, He said, My house shall be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. It was the place that Jacob even made a second trip to, Bethel. 
And he went there because he said, this is where God talked with me. Yeah. Woo! He says, I got to go back to Bethel, Jacob said, because this is where God talked to me. People even fled to Bethel just for the purpose during their troublesome times so they could ask counsel of God at Bethel. God says, Elijah, the second, the second place on your trip right now before you depart is I need you to go to Bethel before you depart. He says, I need you to go to the house of God. I need you to go to the house of prayer. I want, I want you, I want you to, Elijah, to reassure your connection with heaven before you go there. Woo! So I want you to reassure your connection with heaven before I take you there. I want you to go where I can talk to you, Elijah. I want you to go where I can give you some counsel before it's time to leave on this trip. Bethel is where you connect and reconnect with God. Mm. He says, before, before this trip comes to a close, before I take you out of here, you need to go back to the beginning and you need to go back to a place where you can, can connect and reconnect with me. Everybody follow me all right here this evening. Then the Spirit of the Lord came to him. He says, I want you to leave Bethel. I want you to go to Jericho. Jericho had been the great fortified city. The tremendously walled city. It was by all definitions a stronghold. Jericho is where they fought their first battle to enter the land of promise or for the promise. But more importantly, it was the place they celebrated their first victory. It's where their first battle was, but it was also where their first victory was. He says to Elijah, you need to go down to Jericho because you need to recount some battles that you fought. You need to go back down to Jericho and recount some battles that you fought. But not just that. You need to recount some victories that you've won. <laughs> Before I take you to heaven and homeward bound, he says, you need to recount some of the victories that I've given you in your life. I believe he said, you know, at Jericho, you need to remember the cherubs that you were at. You need to remember the Zarephath that you were at. You need to remember the Mount Carmel's and, and even the horrors of despair that you're at. You need to remember those. And you need to more than just recall the battle. You need to recall the victory. Hmm. See, because Jericho, listen to me clearly concerning Jericho. Jericho is where you label your enemies. Jericho is where you recognize your enemies and you fight and ultimately celebrate your victories. <sighs> he says, Elijah, I need you to go back to Jericho. He said, because you need to recognize your enemies again. He said, you've been long on a journey and a walk. Listen, I'm talking about, man, the second coming of God in this. I'm talking about the story of Elijah. It's all blending together here tonight. He said, before you get caught out of here, you need to go back to Jericho and remember who some of your enemies are. He said, because the line's gotten blurred sometimes about whether or not you are in alliance with them or whether or not they're your enemy. You need to pay another trip to Jericho and realize what you're fighting and who you're fighting and remember your victories in times pass over that. Oh, yeah. He says, so before we get out of here, don't forget who you're fighting. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Joshua 6, 26. Here then were the words concerning Jericho. After Jericho was defeated, after the walls fell down flat. And Joshua adjured them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that rises up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn. And in his youngest son shall he get up, set up the gates thereof. Cursed is the man that rebuilds the stronghold, the fortified city of Jericho. <laughs> Elijah, go back to Jericho because Jericho is the city you cannot allow to be built back up in your life. Somebody hear me right now. Jericho is the city you cannot allow to be built back up in your life. In other words, Elijah, this is a stronghold that needs to remain desolate. And you need to go back there just to make sure nothing's being built up. It needs to stay flat, desolate, abandoned. Oh, before we leave this place, there are some things that we have overcome, some things that we have conquered that we need to go back in the Jerichos in our life and make sure those strongholds and walls of fortification are not being rebuilt in our life before Jesus comes. <laughs> so you got to visit there from time to time. Elijah, you got to guarantee that stronghold's not being built back up in your life. And you got to remember you got to remember who your enemies are. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and said, I want you to leave Jericho. God has sent me to Jordan. Gilgal, a place of beginning. Bethel, where you connect and reconnect with God. To Jericho, where you recognize and label your enemies, fight and ultimately have victory. Ensuring the strongholds ain't being rebuilt in your life. And then Jordan. That place that we have already mentioned was the place of death. Elijah was not to be killed by this per se in a literal sense. But he was to take on himself spiritually all that it represented. A spiritual death. A death of the flesh. A death, I think particularly, if we could say it like this for Elijah, a death of self. Because he had dealt with Self in 1 Kings 19. He had a problem with that in his journey of life with self. He at one time requested for a literal death when he was dealing with self in 1 Corinthians 19. Imagine if God granted that whenever he had in mind a translation. <laughs> Never even had to meet death. Whew. In Luke 9, 23, the Bible says this. Listen now. Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, If any man, Jesus speaking, will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Listen to me now concerning this. We are admonished to take up our cross. Listen to me. Because when we take up our cross, it will lead us to our personal crucifix. Somebody just hear what I just said. We're admonished to take up our cross because when you take up the cross as Jesus took up his, it leads you to a personal crucifix. And you got to deny yourself as you take up your cross. Because as you bear it in the beginning, 
Its intention is to bear your limp flesh exhausted of life in the end. <laughs> when a man or a woman of God dies, whether literally or figuratively, nothing of God dies. <laughs> Elijah, I want you to go to Jordan because in a figurative way, you need to die. But although that might have been in a figurative way where Elijah died, God continued to live. <laughs> the New Testament Scripture declares in Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says, I am crucified. Everybody say, die. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet look, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I need you to go to Jordan. He said, because self needs to die. But don't get too worried. It's going to die, but I'm still living in you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm probably more alive in you when yourself is dead than you were before we met Jordan. <laughs> Is it not? You know, I've heard, I've heard the stories and read stories of people really passing into real death and sometimes they feel they've never felt more alive before they died. <laughs> I think maybe Elijah could have said the same thing before he was translated. Remember, I've never felt any more alive. Why? Because self died at Jordan. Amen. And there was this life in him that had more space to move in, if you will. Look, for Israel... Consider this tonight, Jordan. For Israel, the river Jordan was what marked the end of their wilderness wanderings. They come to Jordan before. They said, we can't do this. They did their wilderness thing for 40 years. They come back to Jordan. Now they cross over. That was ending their wilderness wanderings. Yes, a picture of death. But I want you to understand this. It was the place, Jordan was the place where, where the pilgrims Listen, importantly, where the pilgrims died. When they crossed Jordan, they were no longer pilgrims. When they crossed Jordan, they were no longer pilgrims. They were a people that had arrived home. He says, Elijah, I need you to go to Jordan because it's needful for you to stop wandering before you're caught away. Now somebody hear me right now. Elijah, there's some things that you need to get settled. There's some issues in your life that needs to get settled. <laughs> he says, you, you need to accept a life that is spent and lived for Christ. You need to stop searching. Before we're caught away from this place, we need to get to somewhere out of Jordan in our relationship with God where we're not vacillating. And going here and there and to and fro and in and out and up and down. We need to find a place of permanence. The pilgrim days are over. Once you meet Jordan, you're home once you come to a Jordan. He says, honey, you need to go back there and you need to realize the wandering's over, the traveling's over. You don't have to look anywhere else. You found what you've been looking for. You need to stop. This is home. Stop wandering and start living, Elijah. Huh. So I'm going to Gilgal to my beginning place. I'm remo removing the flesh. It's being cut off and rolled away. And 
I find some refreshing there. It's my place to begin. I'm going to Bethel and I'm connecting and reconnecting with God. He's talking to me. He's counseling me. I'm connecting with heaven. I'm leaving there and I'm going there from, from, from Bethel and I'm going to, to Jericho and, and I'm labeling my enemies again. I got the X's on what needs to be X's. I'm not making alliances with people I shouldn't make alliances with and strongholds are still down and being kept down in my life. I'm recounting my victories. I go to Jordan and my God, I've stopped wandering around. I know where I'm at. I know who I am. I got a permanent place right here before I get snatched out of here. I got to make this trip. The Spirit wanted me to make this trip. Wanted me to make preparations. Get all this stuff in line. Want all this stuff to be in proper alignment before I'm caught out of this place. For Elijah then and for us in our hour. We need to visit Gilgal. We need to visit Bethel. We need to visit Jericho. We need to visit Jordan. And at each city, Elijah left. Look, you can look at it in your Bibles. In 2 Kings 2. At each city Elijah left. He admonished Elisha. Stay. God has sent me to. God sent me to Bethel. Stay here at Gilgal. Elisha. Yet Elisha was determined. To continue. With Elijah. It almost seems like it was a test for. The prophet that was in grooming. Because Elijah never chastises him after he continues on the journey along with him. It's never any chastisement. So he tells him to stay, and he says, well, as you live and as the Lord God lives, I shall not leave thee. And he continues on with him, and Elijah never says, hey, I told you to stay back there. You never, you never see that happen. No chastisement that ever came upon him. But they always went to the next city. Now look, this is just McGee 101. But I believe tonight that Elisha is indicative of a new convert. Because they started out at Gilgal. And he had to have a fresh beginning. But he couldn't be content to tarry there. <laughs> As the test was staying, he says, no, I can't be content to stay in my beginning. I need to go on to Bethel. And I got to secure me a connection. <laughs> I got to secure me a connection with God. I got to talk with God. I got to get counsel from God. I need God to talk to me. I need to pray. I need to connect. And I need to reconnect with heaven. That should be the walk of a new convert. Go from your place of beginning and get to a Bethel. Get to a house of God. Mm-hmm. You need God to counsel you there and speak to you there. But wait a minute. You can't, you can't tarry there. You can't even tarry there. you got to go, on, go onward to your Jericho where you can start labeling who your enemies are. Mm, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place where you can start labeling where your enemies are, your enemies of your promise, where you can fight them and do the good fight of faith, where you can be victorious, where you can pull down some strongholds in your life that you brought from your past. You need to go to Jericho. Don't tarry there either. You got to get down to Jordan. Because there must be a death. There must be a dying. So there can be a living of Christ in your life. You need to get down there so you won't wander anymore. You've already been from church to church, from bar, bar room to bar room, from drug to drug, all these other things in your life. Hey, you don't have to wander anymore. You can find a place of permanence. You can reside in what God has for you. Honey, don't stop in your beginning. Don't stop, if you will, God's house. Don't stop in labeling your enemies. But get to a place where you're stop wandering and you'll be sold out on the things of God. Let that be your home. 
living with the end in mind. Perhaps in some terms expressed no better by a man by the name of Jim Elliot. He said he wanted to live so that when he came time to die, there was nothing else he needed to do but die. No salute, no loose ends to tie up. No regrets to arbor in his mind. But I can just pass from this life to another life when the moment comes. Second Kings 2 and 9, the Bible says, and it came to pass. Brother Tyler, I'm back in the beginning. You're probably looking for it right at the beginning. That's my scripture saying in the beginning. Sorry. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee. Before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Of everything that Elisha could have asked of Elijah, he asked of a spiritual matter. A spiritual thing. I mean, that was an open slate. That could have been anything he could ask for. But he asked for a spiritual thing. Why are you asking for a double portion of his spirit? Because those were some hard times right now in the nation of Israel. And soon, even after Elijah died, it was bad when Elijah was alive. But whenever Elijah died, the nation was even going to grow just a little bit worse. Instead of getting better in Elisha's day, it was going to get worse. And the people would continue to turn away from God. And Elisha knew... Oh God, Elisha knew that in order for me to serve the Lord in the hard and the difficult days that are ahead of me, I need the same courage and the same resolve and the same fortitude and the same boldness that my master had had. I believe he asked for a double portion because Elisha may have seen himself as half the man of his master. And he says, since I'm half the man, I'm going to be double of the spirit in order to walk in these perilous times. Mm, Someone say glory. So he wanted that same spirit of Elijah. I want the spirit that he had on Mount Carmel. Hallelujah. I want that same spirit that caused him to go before Ahab in his presence and declare the word of the Lord. I want the same spirit that caused fire to come down from heaven and consume 50 soldiers by 50 soldiers even in the face of another king. I want that. And before that matter, I understand I need more than just a flippant desire. I understand that my survival might be dependent upon this. So God blesses Elisha because Elisha could recognize the need, his own need in his own life that if I'm going to go on, I need the Spirit. (laughs) So again, fiery man, Elijah, the horses and the chariots of fire come. They split asunder Elijah and Elisha. And he's taken up in a whirlwind. That whirlwind ushers him into the presence of the Lord. In 2 Kings 2 verse 13, we're now toward the end there. Brother Tyler, I help you out. I'm sorry. 2 Kings 2 13, the Bible says, and he took up also, look, this is, a, this is Elisha now. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Now listen, there was never anything in the car. He didn't say, I want your mantle. There's nothing ever, ever spoken about this. 
There's nothing that said the mantle is what the double portion came through. None of this. But something inside of Elisha, seeing a mantle fall, and he says, I'm going to pick this thing up. Walk with me right here. Listen to me clearly. I'm not going to hold you much longer. All right. Don't get too excited. I want you to go back and remember. I think this, I think this is divinely orchestrated in the wisdom of a prophet, Elijah. Don't get the two confused as we're talking here toward the end. The wisdom of Elijah, Brother Michael Jordan, I believe was exercised. Listen to me. Whenever he left Horeb, commissioned to do the anointings, and the first place he went was to Elisha of Shaphat. And the Bible says that Elijah cast his mantle on Elisha. This again is just 101 here with what I felt like the Spirit impressed me through the past few days. That somehow, Bishop, I believe, that Elijah knew Elisha would never take up his mantle if he had never felt and experienced it before. I just feel like somehow he knew he's not going to pick this up after I depart. After me and my generation move on, he's not going to pick this up if he's never felt it or experienced it before. With that being said tonight, ladies and gentlemen, this is my point. If we want the next generation to take up our mantle, then we must start casting it upon them now. And they got to feel it now. And they got to experience it now. Because if this generation passes and we want them to pick up this apostolic truth and this apostolic doctrine and everything it represents, they got to experience that now while we're still alive. They got to feel that now. And if they feel and experience it now, when Bishop's gone, someone's going to be there to pick up the mantle. <laughs> T.F. Tenney said one time in a service, he said, the anointing you respect is the anointing you will receive. And there is always a mantle falling, but not always someone there to catch it. So I believe through God, the Elijah of wisdom was, I've got to cast this on him now. I gotta let him feel how this feels. Because he even looked back at that time when he said, He said, I'm gonna go tell mom and dad behind. And he said, What I've done to you. Elijah didn't do anything to him, but he felt what it felt like to have the mantle shrouded. He experienced something that moment of time that that was cast on him. He had so much now that he sees that laying on the ground. He can't allow it to be defiled there in the dust and forgotten. I gotta pick that thing up. Mm, I felt this before. I've experienced this. I can't let this thing die with Elijah. Jesus, hallelujah. Living with the end in mind. Go with me. I'm moving, I'm moving. My 45 minutes are up, but I'm believing you're going to give me 10 more. 2 Kings 2 and verse 14. I just got two more verses, this and another. Look at me here. And he took the mantle. Elisha took the mantle of Elijah. That fell from him. He goes back to that Jordan, back to those waters. He smoked the waters. 
And he asked the question, he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? When also he had smitten the waters, they parted thither and hither. And Elisha went over. Bishop, you know what I believe is one of the greatest testaments in a person's life lived for the Lord will be when the question of the next generation coming in behind you and after you says, where is the God, the Lord God of Palmaki? Where is the Lord God of Palamenes? Where is the Lord God of Sheila McGee? Because as Elisha stood there, I do not believe that was a doubtful question. I do not believe he spoke or uttered those words in doubt. Like where in the world is the Lord God of Elijah now? No, no, no. I believe it was a plea of assurance. I believe it was a plea of faith that he had witnessed it in his predecessor's life and that he could witness it in his life because he's seen it operate in the generation before him. Where is the God of the generation before me? You can't ask a question like that unless you see God demonstrate himself in the pre Previous generation. I want my children to rise up after I'm gone. Having witnessed the power of God in my life and the life of our family and approach similar times and circumstances that we collectively faced when I was alive and they now face it on their own someday and say, where's the Lord God of my daddy? I want them to be able to meet the financial problems that they'll meet in their life after I'm dead and gone and say, where's the Lord God of my daddy? Because I remember when there wasn't anything and God said, here's something. Where is? Mm. 2 Kings 2.15. Y'all counting, that's number three. Now see what's happened here. There's been some sons of the prophets from Jericho been spying on this whole scenario of whenever Elijah and Elisha approached the Jordan, he smoked the waters and they parted. And now Elisha's come back by himself. Right, Elijah? Smoked the waters and they're part. These 50 prophets have been looking there. Man, it's been their, their prime time television for them. What's going on? And when the sons of the prophets, verse 15, which were, in view, which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, look at this now. Elijah said, I need a double spirit of Elijah. He says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And now these old boys that are just observing it all, they say, boys, the spirit of Elijah <laughs> doth rest upon Elijah. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves down to the ground before him. They stood afar off. And they said, we've seen when Elijah and Elisha approached the Jordan. And they crossed over on dry ground. But now, Elisha, a generation before him has passed on. He's at that same Jordan by himself. But the waters have rolled back by the same means because the same spirit is with Elisha that was with Elijah. And Elisha's prayer request was answered. If you'll stand with me tonight, I know this has been maybe teach, preach. But the Spirit of the Lord sent me there, so that's where I went. <laughs> this is my last 
last statement. If again, there's sometimes just certain statements along the way that if you hear me emphasize this because I believe they're worth to emphasize and pin in our minds. A generation can live a life for the Lord to the degree that the next generation does not decrease or fade or diminish but operate in and by the same spirit. Not that the next one following is getting something of a lesser sort. But that same spirit that wrote it back for Elijah wrote it back for Elisha. Because Elisha was conscious enough to say, hey, it's not that I just want this. I realize I need it. We got over the Jordan by that. <laughs> we'll get back over. I need the same spirit. So in closing this evening, we need to live, not just for his hour, but now, to live with the end in mind. And in doing so, We'll pay our trips. Let me be redundant. We'll pay our trips to Gilgal, the place of our beginnings. We'll pay our trips to Bethel, the house of God, where we connect and reconnect with him, get counsel for him. He talks to us. We'll go to Jericho where our strongholds are brought down and we can label and recognize our enemies and fight battles and celebrate victories. And we'll go to our Jordan where a figurative death takes place the life of God can be more prominent in our life and our wondering will stop we'll take up a place of permanence in God and after all these preparations are made he's gone away he made preparations I don't want to be caught somewhere between Bethel and Jericho when the snatching away takes happen I don't want to be tarrying at Gilgal at my beginning I would have already made all the preparations and made the trip as the Spirit leads me so that when the snatching away takes place, everything's in alignment right where it needs to be, right where it ought to be. Can we bow our heads in this place this evening? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.